A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastWarm.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The part of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down. Has been broken by Chris Jericho. And the remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride.
That's smoking track from Fozzie. New record, Do You Want to Start a War? That's called Brides of Fire. I wanted to play that for you guys and uh, switch things up a bit. Always keep you guessing. Great song title, too. I got that from when I interviewed Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden, and I asked him which one of his new songs from his side project that I should play, and he said, Brides of Fire. And I said, Brides of Fire? And he said, no, Brides of Fire. He's from uh, London. He's got the, the, the West London accent. I said, Brides of Fire? He said, no, Brides of Fire. I said, what? He said, Brides of Fire. He was saying, bright as a fire. And I was like, oh, okay, let's play Bright as a Fire. But meanwhile, I'm going to take Brides of Fire and steal it and put it in my poche and save it for later. So there you go. Uh, a vicious tune, the heaviest uh, on the Do You Want to Start a War record. Great, great drumming from Frank Fonseray. Very thrashy, very blast beat, and very much in tune if you're a Slipknot fan. And if you are a Slipknot fan, this is your day today because Corey Taylor, the singer from Slipknot and Stone Sour, plus he's a New York Times bestselling author, a wrestling fan, and was also almost the singer for a couple of other very, very famous rock and roll bands. We'll talk about all that, plus we'll get into ghost stories and his experiences with the supernatural. He even wrote a book about it. And of course, we'll hear all about the making and the release of the new Slipknot record, Five, The Grey Chapter, kind of a homage to their bass player and longtime friend, Paul Gray, who passed away a few years ago. This is Slipknot's first record without Paul, and we'll hear all about it coming up right away. But before we get rolling today, I need to say thanks to all of you for doing your Amazon shopping through my links at podcast1.com. It's the easiest way to support the show. Amazon's a proud sponsor of Talk is Jericho, and every time you shop at Amazon through one of my links, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to the show to help us cover production costs. I got links for Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, and because you've asked for it, everybody's going Amazon! Amazon USA! <laughs> Go to podcast1.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon, like the new Fozzy record, Do You Want to Start a War? Slipknot's new album, Five, The Great Chapter. Uh, Texas Hippie Coalition's new record, Ride On. We'll be going out with them uh, November 20th on the Cinderblock Party Tour. Check that out if you get a chance. All the dates at fozzyrock.com. Plus... If you go to Amazon, you can also get my new book, The Best in the World, at what? I have no idea. Burning up the charts. We should know later on today uh, if it makes the New York Times bestselling list. Crossing my fingies to make it number three, my third in a row. And thanks to all of you who have checked it out, who have read it. I've uh, gotten amazing, amazing feedback from everybody who's read the book. Uh, pretty much... All across the board, people love it. And a lot of people saying it's their favorite of the three that I've written. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this is a book that you know a lot of the stories uh, from before. Because you, if you're a Chris Jericho fan, you saw them happen right before your eyes. You're talking about the Shawn Michaels match or the Rey Mysterio angle, the, the Michaels angle, the Punk angle. I mean, even Dance with the Stars and, and, and the Resurrection of Fozzie and all that sort of thing. Uh, you've been with it the whole time, so now you get a chance to pull back the curtain and really live it with me. So uh, if you haven't checked out the book yet and you're semi-interested, go. You will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. Go get the best in the world at what I have no idea on Amazon and one of my links. Get one of Corey Taylor's books, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Heaven or Seven Deadly Sins. You can buy whatever you want. You can get a, a new set of speakers. You can get some cutlery, some silverware. You can buy a shower curtain, whatever you want. And remember, it won't cost you anything extra, no hidden fees or anything uh, extra. If you happen to be doing some Amazon shopping, remember, you can help out me and this show in the process. Go to Amazon uh, through podcast1.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it as well so you can get to these links in one. 
one easy click. Okay. Uh, wanted to tell you once again, the Cinder Block Party Tour with Texas Hippie Coalition and Shaman's Harvest starts November 20th at the Machine Shop in Flint, Michigan. Goes all the way to December, ending December 12th in St. Pete, Florida. And then we're taking the party overseas for the Cinder Block Party World Tour 2015 with the Dirty Youth. That starts March 4th in Belfast, Ireland. Come raise a Guinness with us as we go through Ireland, Scotland, England. Also some European dates coming up as well. Plus, I've got a couple more book signings uh, left on the best in the world at what I have no idea a book signing uh, tour I guess you'd say <laughs> October 23rd tomorrow in Brandon Florida at Books a Million and Saturday in Tampa Florida at Barnes and Noble I will be signing all the copies of the books and then one last thing don't forget if you live in the UK or you live in Germany I will be back for the WWE but for one week only November 10th in Bournemouth November 11th uh, in Liverpool I'll be doing a book signing there at Waterstone in Liverpool. I'll give you more information about that upcoming. I believe it starts at uh, 12 p.m. I also will be in Newcastle, Glasgow, Braunschweig, Germany, and uh, Frankfurt. So people are like, Jericho's coming back. It's, the secret is out. Yes, the secret is out. I'm coming back for six shows, and that's it. So don't get your hopes up. If you're not in the UK or in that part of Germany, you will not see me. But I'm looking forward to those of you that will be there. It's been a while since I wrestled in the UK. Always a blast. Okay, uh, going to go a little bit of a serious subject here. I did a Reddit chat last week when I was doing my book tour for The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. And a Reddit chat uh, means... People ask you questions kind of a, on, a, on, a, on a computer log, and I just answer them as they come. I keep them pretty quick and pretty succinct because I try and answer as many questions as possible. Someone asked me, do you think Chris Benoit should be in the WWE Hall of Fame? I said, never. And the person, some people were responding like, why would Jericho say that? You know, wouldn't he have his friends back? And this has nothing to do with friendship. I just wanted to talk about this for a bit. The reason why I don't think Benoit should ever be in the Hall of Fame. You cannot, you cannot uh, differentiate the two, uh, the two Chris Benoits. I mean, there's a Chris Benoit that had most of his life as a huge fan and student of wrestling, one of the best workers, one of the best wrestlers of all time. Some might say even the best. And then the guy who, who committed these horrible crimes in the last weekend of his life where he, he killed his wife and his seven-year-old son, and then killed himself. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We all know the uh, the story. And, and I, I have to, once again, like I said, I have to put the fact that Chris was one of my best friends aside. Uh, no one really knows what happened on that weekend. I have my suspicions, and even more so after having Chris Nowinski on this podcast, which you can go back in the archives and listen. I'm convinced that uh, a lot of it had to do with really severe concussions that caused dementia which is something that's happening more and more frequently in the NFL. We're seeing it. I know Junior Seo, very popular NFL player, uh, shot and killed himself uh, a year or two years ago, whatever it was. He had the same symptoms, uh, a really messed up brain, hardening of the tissues of the brain. You can ask uh, Nowinski what the details and what the specifics are. I don't know. I could be getting some of it wrong, but basically it messes up your brain and, and causes you to hear things and causes you to do things that you would never normally do. Uh, including very violent things. So um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why Chris did what he did. But that notwithstanding, you know, put that aside, it, it tarnished his the rest of his life. I mean, you can't say the name Chris Benoit without uh, thinking about that. At least I can't. 
And I can't put them aside and say, okay, I'm going to go watch a great Chris Benoit match now and not think about the fact that, you know, he, he killed his wife and, and kid at the end of his life. And that's why he can never go into the WWE Hall of Fame. There's no way. I mean, how, first of all, how could you go up there and, you know, do a speech for him? How could you put together a video package and completely ignore all that had happened? How could you do the press for that, for, for, for example, you know, as far as promoting it and as far as building it up as this great feel good moment where you're basically putting in, you know, a, a double murder suicide into the Hall of Fame? And I'm not sure exactly the circumstances of OJ and people are like, well, OJ was in the Hall of Fame and maybe he was in there already. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But the point is, I can't speak of that. I can just speak from the WWE standpoint and from my standpoint. Like I said, there wasn't a guy on the planet that I trusted more than Chris Benoit. But I would never want to see him into the Hall of Fame because it trivializes what he did at the end of his life. And you could say, oh, I want to put personal uh, and professional side. And as a professional, absolutely. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more than anybody else for the dedication he gave to wrestling, how good he was, the, the amount of amazing matches he had. But the sacrifice that he made uh, as a result of the wrestling business led to his demise and the demise of two other people. And that, to me, is where you cannot put him into the Hall of, Hall of Fame ever. It's just too sensitive of an issue. You know, I, I can't even watch Chris Benoit matches uh, at this point in time. It's, it's hard for me to go back and watch any of them. And, you know, putting together a couple of my DVDs, and we're working on the second one right now, you know, that's probably a combined total of about 50 matches between those two DVDs that are that are on there. But I can never include a Benoit match. One, I don't think I'm allowed to. Uh, and but B, I don't know if I'd want to. And that was some of the greatest moments of my career. You know, absolutely one of my favorite opponents with probably a dozen classic matches that I'd want to put on there, uh, including the, the ladder match we had at the Royal Rumble in 2001, uh, which I think is one of the best ladder matches of all time. Totally forgotten because uh, of Chris, you know, and, and, you know, the fact they don't show any of his matches anymore. Uh, and then also, too, what was voted the best match in Raw history by a lot of people, which was Jericho and Benoit versus Triple H and Austin. So um, famous for that's the, the night that, that, that H tore his quad during the match. We talked about it when, when Triple H was on Talk as Jericho a few months ago. And... The crowd going bananas was another noteworthy thing. And another noteworthy thing was it was the first time that anybody had vanquished the evil Steve Austin and Triple H. It was a huge night in WWE history, a huge moment in the history of the tag team championships and a huge moment in the history of my career. And I can't ever see that match, really. I can't watch it. I think I've watched it once. And it's, it's good. I mean, it, it, it's a great, great classic five-star match. But it's always tainted to see it when I see, uh, you know, Chris Benoit in it. And, you know, it can't be seen on a DVD. I'm not sure exactly if they're showing Benoit matches on the network. I heard that they were, but they're edited down. But to me, it's not the same. It's not a matter of being censored. Like someone telling me, you can't watch a Benoit match, so I want... I just don't want to see it. If it was on TV, I probably would just fast-forward it or, or ignore it because Chris was so intense during his matches and so hard hitting and so violent, really, you know, he, everything he did looked so real and so believable that I can't stop thinking about, you know, did he look like that during the last day of his life? Was he that intense? Was he making those noises that he used to make? I'll never forget that, you know, and I know this is a heavy subject, but I wanted to bring it up because it just really didn't. I'm not going to say it got to me, but 
I wanted to make that clear when someone said, well, I thought that Jericho would have Benoit's back. This is not having somebody's back. You know, me saying that Chris Benoit should be in the, in the Wrestling Hall of Fame doesn't mean I have his back. It means I'm ignoring what's right in front of my face and ignoring all the, the trials and tribulations that, 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 that his decision put everybody through. Uh, he almost brought down the entire business. That's why I'm surprised that Vince would ever show a Chris Benoit match. I don't care if it was one of the main events of one of his WrestleManias. And you can see that a lot of times when they have, you know, the, the top 30 main events of all WrestleManias. And I think they show another one instead of uh, Benoit versus, versus H versus uh, HBK at WrestleMania 20. You know, uh, it shouldn't be erased from memory because we should always remember what happened. And also show a little bit of, uh, not sympathy, but understanding and a little closure the more and more we get into this concussion debate and, and whether that, that had a lot to do with what he did, which I, I believe it, gives me closure at least, gives me a reason and, and, a, and a, a mindset that he might have had, which is that he was losing his mind. But to just ignore that and put him in the Hall of Fame because he was a great performer and a great wrestler, I can't go for that. I can't buy it. And... If he ever did go on the Hall of Fame by some chance, which he won't, believe me, there is 0% chance. But if we go into another dimension and somehow he got in, I wouldn't show up. I wouldn't be able to take it. I wouldn't be able to, to give my blessing on that. And I don't think a lot of people really would either. You know. So anyways, uh, Chris Benoit, loved him like a brother, one of my best friends I've ever had on this planet. But the last weekend of his life uh, disqualifies him from any type of Hall of Fame that he might have been in or uh, is in, in my opinion. And this is my show, and that's all I can give is my opinion. But uh, that was that was that. So I hope you guys uh, got a little bit of clarity from that on my end. If you want to make some comments, hit me up at Talk Is Jericho on the Twitter. And um, yeah, so what more can you say about that? So we're gonna move on to Corey Taylor of Slipknot and Stone Sour. He knows a lot about what it's like to lose a great friend. He's gonna talk about that uh, with me about losing Paul Gray, the bass player in Slipknot from a from an overdose a few years ago. How he rebounded, how he made his way back uh, into the rock and roll game. But first. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. So uh, 
we're here in uh, actually the home of, of Corey Taylor in yes. Des Moines, Iowa. Yes. Uh, you came all the way from your farm. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I was, uh, you know, you're lucky you caught me between plowings. Uh, <laughs> That's right, yeah. I was uh, <laughs> such a jerk. <laughs> but you uh, you were at Raw last night. You took your son, mm. Griffin, who was hilarious, by yeah. the way. I was laughing because he did a... His Terminator imitation yes, backstage, yes. and what was his his cue? That was his, <laughs> that's, how, that's how he cues it up. Get to the chopper, and I'm like, that's not even the Terminator. What? Like, yeah. how, where does that's that's, that's more predator. like Commando or Predator? Yeah, exactly. But he had a good time. I, oh, I, I yeah, saw man. you guys sitting there going nuts, and uh, dude, so, he so was losing us, his mind. Tell yeah. us about your experience at Raw last night. Oh man, it was awesome, man. Yeah. We had first of all, thank you for the tickets. I really, really appreciate they it. They took care of you. Oh man. man. Yeah. They set us up. You, you were know? right behind an ounce. Yeah, I and you know that's kind of a first for me. You know, like I, I'd you know I and of course it's one of those moments where you're like I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, <laughs> what do I? Because one of the guys came over and was like, "Okay, you don't point, don't do this, don't do that." And we were like, uh, "Can we have fun? Is that a, are we all <laughs> right told to you do don't that?" Point well, he just said into the camera. He's like, "Because oh, you know, the producers really? like the producers don't like it," and I'm like. Well, I don't want to mess up the producers, you know. I want to be able to come back and do this again. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so me and uh, you know a couple of my buddies who were you know big wrestling fans as well. You know, we were you know just kind of holding it down. Griff didn't care anything. He stood up the whole time. He was just like, yeah, nobody's telling me what well, to do. Well, they shouldn't tell you yeah. what to do, right? Well, I, I, I think it's just a courtesy. They don't want to know? be distracted. They don't want, because, I mean, right at the end of the night, there was one dude who jumped right in and was like, you know, basically right behind Cole and everybody. Mm-hmm. And was like holding towels and like really trying to be an idiot. Gotcha. And I was like, well, I'm glad we weren't that. And I think right. that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They, they just want to, you know, put the goodbye. We had a great time. I mean, we had a wonderful yeah, time. Yeah. Um, the matches were great, man. It was, it was one of the better Raws I'd seen in a while. And, uh, I mean, the main event, which you were in, <laughs> was fantastic, you know? I, I thought it was great. And then, you know, Cena, man, credit where it's due, dude. He was he was really, he was milking it. And when he ran out and grabbed that sign, I, dude, we were dying, <laughs> yeah. man. It was so good. That was after the show yeah. with the little pump. And oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Rollins is from Davenport. Yeah, yeah. That's why people were chanting Rollins. Oh, yeah, or, man, yeah. yeah. He's one another one of those new dudes, man. Really good. I mean, just got, got great chemistry in the mm-hmm. ring man is really good that, i mean that everybody from that shield uh, yeah. angle is really good so we and, yeah we've all been supporting it and then backstage after you came and, and griff got to meet a couple guys got to meet cena and yeah. then i saw miz and miz is a big rock guy big well, yeah which i didn't know you yeah. know so <laughs> so i brought him over and he, he hasn't stopped talking about how excited he was to meet you i will say he played it very cool like yeah because he didn't come <laughs> off like he was like yeah. yeah you know i saw you guys in 2001 yeah. pledge of allegiance tour yeah. and you know i was like oh great man it was killer you know it was a great tour so yeah i don't remember a lot from that tour let's put it that way. that was from the darker days right. of the Taylor's right, right. past, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, it was, I mean, we couldn't have scripted it any better. I mean, it was just, I mean, my buddies have been hitting me up all morning. It's like, I didn't want to go to work today, but it was so worth it. Like, I mean, it was great. It was a really good time. So you've, you've been a wrestling fan for a long time. Oh yeah. Since yeah. I was a kid, you know, I mean, not only, uh, you know, WWE, but just, I mean, all of the, the earlier promotion, like, you know, early NWA before mm-hmm. it was WCW, um, you know, we would even once in a while. You know, we'd get some of the the world class uh, really? shows. Yeah. So I grew up, like, you know, loving the Von Erichs, loving the the Freebirds. Which I was like, like last night when we were meeting everybody, I kept looking around for for PSAs. I was he like, was, he wasn't dude, there last oh, night. Oh man! Next time okay. you come, oh I'll dude, make sure I would have lost 
Like, seriously, <laughs> really? I would have lost it. Like, I should have asked oh, you who you dude. wanted to be. Yeah, I asked Griff, but I should have oh, asked you. Oh, man. Yeah, Hayes, uh, actually, it's funny because he, he still he still writes music and puts up music. Does he really? And he just, you know, and, and, and you know, he's passionate about it. Mm-hmm. He, like, he likes to do it, but everything he does has always got, like... I'm like, do you not realize this is really cheesy? Like, he just put out a record, and it's a naked picture of him flying. And it says, like, free bird, fly free or something. Like, kind of an offshoot of Halloween, eagle fly free. But he oh, thinks it's like, like yeah. look at the cover, man. And it's like, it looks like a Mad Magazine. <laughs> I saw it in the, in the little awesome. in the little box last night where all the, where all the gimmicks are. Oh, my are. God. But, That's uh, amazing. <laughs> now, you, we're pretty much the same age. Was, yeah. uh, was AWA still around? Uh, yeah, yeah, that absolutely. was kind of in this area, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it, the cool thing was I think it was like Saturday mornings on one of the channels you could get a, AWA uh, yeah. shows. And it was weird because I remember seeing a lot of the guys who eventually ended up with McMahon mm-hmm. on AWA, like Andre was on there. Yes, Hogan. Uh, Hogan was on there for a little bit. Uh, I remember seeing the Rockers too, which Rockers. was awesome. You yeah. know, and Michaels is one of my all-time favorites. Me too. That that tag team man was so good. You know, mm-hmm. and that was the era of like tag teams. Yeah, you had the Rockers, then you had Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express. Uh, obviously, the Legion of Doom. I mean, like. The, was, that was like the air, the era of of like the great tag. Teams. It was the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, and then they were the Midnight Rockers. Yeah, they were a combination yeah, totally. of the two, right? It was just like, when are we going to get a six man going on? Because this is ridiculous, yeah, like a Brady Bunch type thing, a, a blended family totally. tag team. But I even remember, like in the the WWE, I remember one of my favorite teams was uh, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo. They oh, worked yeah, yeah, really yeah. well together, right? Man, you know and. That's going, but that's like the Moondog spot days, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that Bray Wyatt is Mike yeah. Rotundo's son. And so is and Bo, Bo Dallas. Yeah, yeah, Bo Dallas, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Right, right. Actually, yeah. uh, Bray's actual real name is Wyndham. Oh, yeah? Because Mike named him after Barry. Oh, Wyndham nice. Rotunda's That's his name. very so, cool. That's yeah, very yeah. cool. So, you know, good guys. So you mentioned that you'd just gone to an independent show? Oh, my, dude. So you go to, you, you go to wrestling Oh, yeah, 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 dude. I, I, love, I love wrestling, yeah. you know? And uh, you know, my wife doesn't understand it, but she's a very... <laughs> supporting wife yeah so she's just like go do your thing so my so my sister uh, uh my sister christine hits me up the other day and she's like because i uh she's really good friends with uh the magician amazing jonathan okay yeah and uh you know he's kind of been semi-retired or whatever for mm. uh, for i think for health reasons or whatever but uh she hits me up and she goes hey jonathan's doing this thing out at this place called Helltown in in vegas called freak show Dude, wrestling the guy who promotes that sin Bodhi, sin Bodhi is my friend yeah. i was just talking to edge about this two nights really ago, so i said i really? wanted to go you gotta I tell was me about there. This. You were there Dude, i was there yeah it was unbelievable it's like freak show wrestling well yeah it was weird man like because we go out there first of all it's out in the middle of nowhere dude like this is like the industrial area of Where's las vegas hell town is basically like this it's this old like it's this abandoned Haunted house movie set thing. Okay, that one of the one of the guys owns, and uh, yeah, Sid Bodie was there, and uh, he's the promoter. Yeah, and uh, like his his his, uh, I think like one of one of his promo people, Jenna Side, was out there. And, is like, it, is it oh Jenna? Jenna Side, Side. Like, yes, it's a chick. Yes, right? yeah, yeah it's dude. <laughs> so we we get out there right, and I mean it's just I mean it's, it's parking lot, it's parking lot wrestling. So I'm like this is. Awesome. Like I love it, you know. And uh it's like it was it was Sid's birthday 
mm-hmm. thing, right? So they had, and this was the thing that Jake the Snake was supposed to be. Right, at. he got, he and, one he yeah, got put yeah, in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, which I was, I was so bummed, dude. Like it, it like, had me freaking out. Yeah, but um, there were some interesting matches. It was uh, first of all, there was a band that opened the whole thing called Radioactive Chickenhead. <laughs> now <Nice>. the, <laughs> this band is like they're wearing. Now I know masks, okay. <laughs> They're there's all where if I is one thing that I regrettably have knowledge about, <laughs> right. it's masks. These guys, I mean, they're going for it, too. And they're all in giant, like upholstered masks. The singer had a giant carrot head. <laughs> that was so fantastic. Like it reminded me of, uh, um, uh, I think it's Radioactive Carrot Man or something, which is like the comic book. Okay. Like an, like an old independent comic book. And I'm just look, I'm like, what is going on? And they played like punk rockabilly kind of ska type music right but they all had these things on first song they played was called cluck you the second sold the second you I'm had like, me at cluck you this is amazing oh dude they played like four songs the second, i think the second song was like return of the franken chicken and i mean it was and there was like this one dude that you couldn't really see but he was doing backups and he just kept going franken chicken <laughs> Dude, I'm gut laughing at this point. I'm like, you got to really? You're kidding me. It was so amazing. First match was, uh, let's see, Serial Man. <laughs> swear to God. Serial Man defeated, I want to say his name was like Bomb Dropping Barack Obama. Okay. Now, I mean, quite a match, mm-hmm. by the way. Yes. Uh, the entrances were amazing, by the way. He come, here comes dro- Bomb Dropping Barack Obama coming up, surrounded by SWAT people. And... The the military vehicle that they had rented from the zombie apocalypse store in, in Las Vegas. I mean, so it's full-on military, right? And he's walking up, yes, yep, going to the ring now. Everything's going to be great. We're going to do these moves. And uh yeah. be a really good time. You know, and bad I, Obama, yeah. man. Not bad. I, you know, I my my brother-in-law puts me to shame. But okay. I just kind of copy him. Yeah. But here comes Cereal Box, man. And poor dude. They had everything running off of like one breaker. Mm-hmm. So lights are working in the ring, right? And, you know, his music was I Need a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. And it doesn't even get to the verse and it cuts. Like oh. the PA just killed it. Now he comes out full yellow outfit, red cape, right? And a giant box mask with a, with a face on Cereal it. box. He's a cereal, he's cereal man. Obviously. You know? Yeah. He comes out and he's, you know, milking it. 200 people are losing their minds, <laughs> and he's in it, and then silence. And he just, wah, wah, hey, he just kind of yeah. keeps going. And I'm like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Long story short, the, la- the last match I saw, anyway, was it was, a, uh, it was a lumberjack match, but it was clowns. Lumber clown match. Lumber clown match. That. Oh, my God. Was it Mor- John it was Morrison? Morrison. Was in yeah, that. dude. That was what I was going to say. There were like four WWE dudes okay. there. Uh, Morrison was there. Rikishi was there filling in for Jake. They mm-hmm. called him to, to cool. cover for Jake, which was very cool. Uh, Chavo Guerrero was there. I think somebody said Gangrel was there too. Okay. And I was like, I was like, this dude, this is crazy, dude. <laughs> and if, if, if it hadn't been so like, because we were going to try and stay for the whole thing, but by the, I mean, they those shows late. go so late. They too, go really right? late. They started so late, and I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta sleep i'm old now you know the one thing that i saw when i looked it up i actually googled a picture of it and i was showing it to people yesterday was clownvis mm. obviously clownvis was amazing he <laughs> did he, he wrestle no he just kind of went up well i didn't see him wrestle okay but he jumps up in the ring 
and attempts to do the, the, the national anthem, right, with his two 70s cop buddies. I mean, dude, they were straight out of the Beastie Boys video. Oh, yeah, for, sabotage. Oh, I mean, dude, them, they were yeah. just, I mean, stashes, hair, perfect. Horatio Hornblower. Yeah, or whatever dude, it was amazing. So, And I'm just, I'm just standing there going, what is happening? And then all of a sudden, these four bikers pull up with a – with a Dolly Parton imitator to do the yeah to, to do the national anthem, I'm like Obviously. okay, that's fine. The best match though, by far, well, the most bizarre match was a magician versus magician match, and uh, <laughs> it was it was Bizarro versus the Shocker, and I promise you, he was doing this the entire time. Now they they go into this weird slow mo like double clothesline thing, right? All of a sudden, over the PA, which immediately starts to work, they're playing the Chariots of Fire music. So it's dun 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 dun. Is it running in slow mo? It's slow, and I'm like, this is painful. I'm sorry. <laughs> but all of a sudden, lights go out, and we're like, oh, what, what happened? And then all of a sudden, lights come back on. Dude dressed as Sting is in the ring with an acoustic guitar, <laughs> and he starts singing half of a parody of Big Girls Don't Cry, and it's very offensive. Like I'm not gonna, I'm well, not gonna yeah, bog yeah. down your podcast with it. But he's, you know, there was a lot of lot, big girls eat lots of pie, dude. And there was several sexual references. Oh, dude, it was brutal. And then all of a sudden, lights go down again. And then the magicians are back, and I'm like, "What is happening? What is the bizarre hell thing? If you're on some acid, you'd really oh, love that, dude. It was brutal. Oh, I had so much fun, dude. And me and my my sister. God bless her. She you know, she doesn't understand any of this, so I'm calling a lot of the matches, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice reversal there, you know. <laughs> and uh, there, I will say, there was a six man tag team um, with uh, a couple of dudes called the Reno Scum, mm-hmm. who were actually really good. Right? Uh, they got a punk thing going on. Remind me a lot of like fit nasty boys, you know? Oh, wow. Like they okay. actually they hit the gym, you yeah. know? They do the thing. They were really good. They were really. So good. There's a couple guys that, yeah, actually, man. Yeah. And, they kept going, oi! And the dude next to me was just like, what, are they Jewish? What's going on? And I'm oi, like, babe. Okay, well, look, that's, a, that's kind of a punk thing. It's a different spell. We'll talk yeah. later. Yeah. It was very, dude, it was, it was a great, it was awesome. Oh, well, man. dude, I mean, you are a, a busy guy, um, just as busy as I am. you always got lots of cool projects going. Yeah. you got two super successful bands. Uh, been touring the last few years of Stone Sour, released yeah. two records, yeah. comic books, books, which I want to talk to you about your books in a bit. Yeah. But the, the, the big thing is finally the return of, of one of the biggest bands on the planet, Slipknot, a uh, new record, which actually really tells the tale, Slipknot 5, the Grey chapter. Yeah. I mean, basically saying, I mean, Paul Gray, fallen comrade, passed away. Uh, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I know when we talked in the past, for yeah. one point you didn't even know if you were going to come back yeah. to Slipknot. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons, away. that's one of the reasons why we took so long is because... Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people kind of gave me a a little hell about it, um, thinking it was all me. But, I mean, there were a lot of guys in the band that were like, what are we going to do? You know, and if if you've never been in that situation, it's it's really hard to explain, you know, because you're it was so easy then, you know. We would get together, sparks would fly and we would have an amazing album, Mm -hmm. you know. Then you lose Paul. And then we, you know, we parted ways with Joe, which is really, really hard, just as hard to talk about. It's your drummer, Joe, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you lost two brothers yeah. from the last record. 
And uh, so, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of standing there going, well, what do we do? You know, and um, it, it just, you know, as, as time went on, it started to kind of get a, a little more kind of wrapping your head around it. Basically, mm-hmm. it's like, what what will we say? Because obviously you can't go back to what you did before. You got to kind of try and do. It's never going to be the you. same again. Exactly. And pretending like it is is not only unfair to you, but it's unfair to the fans. It's unfair to everybody. So for us, you know, we just kind of started to write, you know, like I started writing, Jim started writing, Clown came up with some great stuff. And we just kind of started pooling it all together and and just seeing like where we were at, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it it just, the more we got into it, the more we started to get really positive about Mm -hmm. it, you know. It's just like, this is really good, you know. And then lyrically, I really kind of started to put the pieces together about the last four years, basically, you know, from the day that Paul died until basically the first day of going in the studio, you know, and almost preempting the first show coming back, you know, after all of these changes and all these uh, ups and downs, you know, dealing with all of this adversity, it really kind of got to the point where we were looking for something to kind of lift us up again, Mm -hmm. you know, and, Making this album was was really heavy, um, but in a lot of ways we needed it. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was almost like because even though we'd been doing tours here and there for about two years before we really started to kind of work on this, and we hadn't really talked about it. You know, we had never mm-hmm. sat down and like really talked about you know Paul really. You know, and just you know, what had happened. You know, I mean, even though we all ended up at my house that day. Because we were all in like you know you know different parts of the city or whatever, and as soon as we found out, me and Clown, like Paul had passed away. Yeah. yeah, me and Paul or me and Clown and uh, Fane, a couple other guys, we went down there. No, people told us not to. to we went down. We to where he died. Oh, I, gotcha, I won't. Yeah. I won't yeah, mention gotcha, the address. Cinema, yeah. We went down there immediately, and uh, I mean it was it wrecked us. You mm-hmm. know, but then we all. You know, we all we, we started calling everybody and, and, and letting them know what had happened. We all kind of got together at my house. Because there's know? nine guys in Slipknot, yeah. so you have eight calls to make. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was it was heavy. So there's a song on, on the album about that, about that day, about sitting in my house, you know. So, I mean, it's... What's the song called? It's called The Goodbye. Mm. And um, it's, it's actually part of a... It's like a two-song arc that kind of flows one into the other. And... Uh, it's the, the album is it's got so much honesty on it mm-hmm. that it might be hard for people to take it first, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's about dealing with everything, whether it's survivor's guilt or you know anger at the what person if? who's died. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, but it, but it's, but everything kind of comes back to introspective. You know, it, it's not just a it, you know, it's not just noise for noise's sake. This is real. Real talk. I, I hate to say it that way, no, but I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's an interesting situation. It's a tough situation, and, and I didn't have a band member die, but I had you know my best friend, a couple of my best friends pass away in interest yeah. by wanting to grow, and I mean talking with Shads with the Rev or talking with yeah. Lars and, and Cliff. When you're in a band or you're on the road, you're invincible. You're yeah. a gang, and yeah. no one can die. Yeah. No one's supposed to leave. And I think when you talk about, like, you guys took a while to deal with it, I think the Avenged guys might have been a little bit different because they've been such a close gang. But then you look at Metallica, they didn't deal for, deal with it for 14 years until yeah. that whole some kind of monster thing came out. Yeah. And that's why that, that movie was like it was because they never acknowledged yeah. it or dealt with it. Yeah. 
you guys took a while to deal with it, and then when you finally did, you had the issue with Joey. Was that one of the reasons why Joey left or had to leave because of things that had happened? It was, I mean... Was Paul like the... the if you're talking Spinal Tap, were you, were you fire and was he ice and was Paul the lukewarm water that kind of kept you guys together? Kind of, yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, it's, you know, and with, and with respect to Joe, I won't get too much into it. And you haven't either. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't the whole time, which is your, you know, respect. The, way, the only way I can, I can, the, the, the only way I can really relate it is every person and every, you know, every person in any relationship in any band whatever you want to call it you're on the same path but you know every once in a while you hit a t-section mm -hmm. you know where you got to go one way or the other mm -hmm. for the most part we had all been kind of going the same way and we just kind of got to a point where he was going one way and we were going the other and it's you know it was difficult i mean it was a hard decision to make um but it is what it is. So, so what do you do now? I remember when I saw you guys at Sonosphere, which is the first time I've ever seen Slipknot yeah. from side stage, and it, was, it blew my mind. Like really, to see the band live and then the controlled madness and chaos yeah. Yeah. and how you work the crowd and how the whole band is just fucking insane. You know? <laughs> but you had the guy um, that was that was I wouldn't say replace Paul, the bass player was kind of behind the stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you do now when you go on tour now that you have two new members? Are they kind of well playing the Claude Schnell role behind the curtain? No, 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 player no, no. Uh, we actually we talked about it and we're going to bring them out. And uh, the way we looked at it is there's no there's no replacing right. Paul and there's no replacing Joey. These are just guys who are are playing with us. Yes. You know they're not they're not in the band they're with the band mm -hmm. basically. And uh, but at the same time. If if you're moving on or, or trying to move past things, you have to you have to put up a unified front. You have to put up you know you, people want to see nine people out there again. Yeah. You know? So it was you know it was kind of six and you know six in one hand, half dozen in the other. It was just like look, it, either way, you know people are either going to take this positively or negatively. We got to do what's best for us, mm -hmm. and that's what it kind of came down to. You know, we found these two dudes. Um, Great to jam with. Have you announced um, who they are yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. The secret. Um, and we're keeping a secret all the way, like, past even the, the record <laughs> release. Like, we, we took our names out of the CD. Ah. So there won't be anything in the CD. So I like, um, I like yeah. that, you know, because in this day and age, everybody knows everything. It's so exactly. accessible. I remember when I saw Kiss in 84, and I realized it wasn't Mark St. John on guitar. Yeah. Who is that guy? Yeah. It was Bruce Kulick. But yeah. they never made a big announcement. Yeah, they didn't say anything. It is who it it's is, just, and that's you know, kind of what you guys Yeah, and that's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the music kind of doing the walking for mm -hmm. us. You know, and we're just kind of following. Will they be wearing going. masks and costumes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, but you will all, and, and it's, it's all going to be new. Um, it's all going to be, uh, you know, new masks, new everything. I saw the mask. You well, showed I showed me last you, man. Yeah, I showed wow. you. Wow, I mean, yeah. it's 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 amazing. It looks. My wife can't look at it. <laughs> She's just like. Ugh. So that must have been kind of the fun thing. Okay, so you get over. You obviously, never get over Paul's yeah, yeah. passing. But you're back in the groove. Slipknot's back. You're yeah. gonna go on tour. Now you start thinking. Okay, new mask, new costumes, yeah. new set. That must have been kind of fun for you because it's pretty rare to get to the point where Slipknot is. And Stone Sour is yeah. big. Yeah. But Slipknot is. That's a yeah. It's headlining a, it's a genre of its own. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah, I mean that's that was you know that was part of the 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 kind of standing back up moment you know mm -hmm. was okay if we're gonna do this we've got all this great new music 
how are we, you know, how will it fit in? You know, putting together a set was awesome. I was just like, ooh, we can do this, we can do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Clown does so much of the art and so much of the, the production design that uh, he came to me and was like, we're going to try this. And I was just like, oh, God. You mean live? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's I was great. like, well, that's <laughs> interesting to look at. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really cool. There was a couple things we couldn't do because uh, the insurance company wouldn't cover us. And I was like, come on, it'd be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. But it, was, it felt good to be kind of walking forward again because when we were doing the, you know, Sonosphere and, and Mayhem, you know, mm-hmm. when we kind of did that. It felt like we were kind of just we, – we were doing the electric slide, basically, just mm. kind of sideways. You know, we were, we were moving, but we weren't going You're anywhere. still grieving, Yeah, too. exactly, It must man. have been really hard to get back on stage. That first, the first show gig. was heavy, man. It was uh, Athens, Greece, Sonosphere. And uh, it was the first time we'd played – we'd done anything without Paul like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first half of the set – felt like being underwater like it literally i mean everything felt heavy like i couldn't move i couldn't Mm -hmm. do anything and then slowly but surely man the audience that pop came in you know Mm -hmm. it just and every song every song it just got a little easier you know and we kept we kept just standing up a little stronger you know and to the point where by the end of the set we wanted to play another three hours you know (laughs) and Oh, the maid's coming oh, in. Oh, oh. Let's, let's, let's. She wants to change your towels. That's okay. <laughs> See, this is the real behind the Here scene. it is. Yeah. You only get that here on Talk is Jericho. Thank God you weren't in your Speedo for that. <laughs> it would have been hard to explain. I told you what room I was in. I said, I may or may not be, be uh, lounged out on the bed in a Speedo. And I was just like, okay, I'll, I can be there in 15 minutes. <laughs> but so it was, yeah, it was good, man, you know. And it, 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 it helped us get past those stumbling first steps you know mm-hmm. and uh you know after that it was just like okay you know let's let's really take our time and make sure it, it makes sense make and, sure that it's right yeah, yeah exactly yeah ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. This This is Talk is Jericho. Hey, I'm here with Slipknot singer number eight, Corey Taylor. You always hear that if you want to make it in the music business, you got to do something different, and Slipknot did. Yeah. I'm sure when you guys first started, though, people were probably saying, what the hell is these guys like, laughing at you? Or Dude, we were doing it. We, we had, <laughs> Trust me, our success has surprised no one more <laughs> than us, like for real. We were convinced, and this is just from my standpoint, I've talked to some of the guys about it, you know, for a while there, our big plan was just to do the first album and break up. Like, really? for real. That was yeah. it. The big I can remember thing. having a very heated conversation with, it was me, Clown, I think Joey was there, Paul was there, and we were saying, we were outside of our crappy hotel room on the Ozfest 99, right? That was and, your first uh, tour? That was our first big tour, yeah, because mm-hmm. we'd done regional stuff up until then, but we'd, like, but that's OzFest still pretty big right off the bat. It was, you know? well, I mean, for what it was, man, you know, we had no money. Uh, we basically sold everything we could just to rent 
the the bus that because we needed it. But there was no way we we're going to do a yeah. band. Well, let me with just say this people. for people at home: it's hard to make money when you're first starting a band yeah. when you have four guys yeah. or maybe five. You guys had nine. Yeah, we you're were living out five hundred bucks between nine guys. It's dude, not a lot of money. We were living off of uh, catering and fistfuls of goldfish crackers. <laughs> that some for some reason someone had left a giant bag of it. <laughs> In the bus, you know, because there's always something left over from right, the people from the who last had it before. tour. Exactly. And we were just like, we were like, look at this, but why? What is this? <laughs> but I can remember having a conversation with those guys outside of our, our hotel room. You know, we're chain smoking our asses off. And we're just like, wouldn't it be awesome if we just put the one album out and then break up like full on sex pistol style yeah, right just like we don't care. We don't like you. We just that's it. Yeah. You know? And then we just had to go and get popular, man, you know? <laughs> I was convinced for the longest time that, uh, you know the band Amen? Mm-hmm. They're one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, especially the first two albums, mm-hmm. then that lineup. I was convinced they were going to be so much bigger than we were because I just felt that their music was not better, but just people would react to it more. Mm-hmm. I was convinced we were going to be one of those Roadrunner bands that would maybe sell 200000 at the most. And we'd be able to tour, you know? We would just, you know, tour, album, tour, album, tour, the way it used to be. Yeah. And uh, and then all of a sudden, we were gold by February of the next year. And then we were platinum. And I'm like, what do you mean platinum? What? <laughs> what? Uh, it yeah. didn't even register, man, you know? And then it just it got to the point where we couldn't, nobody would take us out with them. We did one opening slot. After OzFest '99 with Cold Chamber, and then nobody would touch us. Why is that? Because they were so scared Too to death. Too crazy of us. on stage, right? We yeah. did well, and well, not only that, but we were doing the Cold Chamber tour, and we would play. We were like second on the bill. We would play half the audience would bail. Yeah, and that was nothing against Cold Chamber. No, no, no. Just, I get they it. were there to see. Yes, they, they were like you know we had so much buzz that they they were coming in literally just lose their minds and then splitting, mm-hmm. and it was like mass exodus, and it was just like and nobody wanted to go yeah. through that nobody wanted to do it so we were forced into headlining and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger what was your original mindset to do like okay we're gonna wear coveralls and masks weird crazy masks we were you know when i joined the band that was already in place and uh it was much more it was much more costumed it wasn't as it was unified mm-hmm. i was um when i joined i had a i had a, a priest's outfit and um Clown was the only one really wearing coveralls, and he was the one who kind of set the tone for that. Yeah, I was in a pre-self fit. Uh, it had my mat, you know, the dreads and everything. So they had masks. When yeah, 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 yeah. Mick, genius, so good. I almost wish we would do a throwback show with all of our old things. Uh, I don't think Mick would go for it. He used to wear a doctor's gown with uh, 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 speedos with a devil's horn on the, you know, on the on the. You know that guy <laughs> in the lower abdominal and area. He just we just looked so gnarly, mm-hmm. you know. But then we really started sitting down and, and talking about how we could kind of unify everything, you know, and really put it together. And it was Joey and Clown, and, and they they were the ones that really started kind of talking about the barcodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we we talked about the numbers. We talked about you know how we could do it, and that's when the coveralls. You know, Clown was just like, hey, you know, I've been wearing coveralls forever. We take and put the barcode like on the a, back, a, a team, tribal yeah. S, number. We look like a unit, you know? And that's really when it, you know, kind of started to happen for us, you know? What was the mindset of the numbers? It's one through nine. What is your number? Or is it zero through eight. Zero through eight. What was your number? Uh, mine is eight. Okay. It's, my, it's been mine. 
No. Oh. Uh, I was uh, uh, eight. Was my has been my lucky number since I was a kid. Oh, okay. So I immediately called dibs. I'll take eight. You know, I was like, I want eight. I want eight. And at oh. that time, there what was only be, Mr. there Pink? was only eight of us. Yeah. This is before Sid had joined. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's Sid joined after I joined, and then our original uh, percussion guy left. And that's when uh, Chris Fain joined. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really nice guy, by the way. Very cool. Yeah, very, very cool, cool guy, dude. Yeah. Uh, hell of a golfer. Ah. I will say that. He <laughs> shoots a lot. He shoots pretty good from the whites. I'm just going to say, you know. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. You know, if you're looking for somebody for some pro-am work, Chris Fain's your man. Um, but, yeah, man, it was it, it made it so easy for us, man, mm-hmm. because it was it wasn't about fashion. It was about the mindset, you know. We didn't have to worry about what we were going to pl- you know, wear that day. Mm-hmm. You know, you put on your uniform, basically, you know. And it was like going to war because that's really what we were doing. We mm-hmm. were so fed up with everything that was coming out at the time. Every just it, it, it seemed like every great band, and I won't mention any goddamn names, but every great band would co- would have that one amazing album. And then they would just get talked into the biggest pile of BS yeah. on the second album. And we were just <laughs> so angry. <laughs> and we were just like, ah! And that's one of the reasons why Iowa is the way it is. Because we were like, don't talk to us about singles. Don't talk to us about this, oh. that, and the other thing. We are going to make our album. And we basically kept the we kept the entire label at arm's length until we were really done. I remember to hand it in. Yeah, yeah. And I remember uh the guys in Machine Head coming in right towards the end of when we were done. And you know, we're really good friends with those guys. They came in as like, dude, we want to hear some of it. So we played them like I think the first three tracks and I can remember Rob just going seriously dude. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like holy God, you know, <laughs> it felt so good to just kind of be calling our own shots. Because at that point, you were big enough where you could do that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it was a it was a risk, and obviously, you know, we couldn't have you know foreseen you know everything that happened with September 11th. We were kind of blacklisted for a long time. Why is that? They wouldn't play anything heavy on on, on, the, radio. on the radio. Yeah, they blacklisted us. Rage Against the Machine. There was a whole list of bands and a whole list of songs that they wouldn't even touch. Anthrax, they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, it was it was insane, you know. Yeah, but we dealt with it. You know, we we sold that album through word of mouth. You know, Mm. very funny conversation with MTV, and this was literally about a month before nine eleven happened. They said, "You give us a video, we will play the hell out of it." And we were like, really? And they're like, yeah. It was like, okay. So and they sh- hadn't played you before. They hadn't really. They okay. wanted to. But right. all of our videos up to that point were a little too, I don't want to say amateurish, but they were. They, they just weren't the, gotcha. the Not up to budget stop. level. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, whatever, you know? Right. So we go out and we shoot this really great video for, for uh, Left Behind. And we did two different versions, one with a storyline and a performance, and then one just straight performance. And the one with the storyline was very dark. You know, I mean, it was this kid who was, you know, dealing with, you know, all this stuff in school. You know, I mean, really ahead of its time as far as like, you know, telling a story like that. And he turns to violence, but at the end of it, it's a very positive, like, form of violence, mm-hmm. like kind of killing what was inside of him. That was that down. was yeah, exactly. Um, and then literally a week later, boom, and and. and that video 
disappeared from the Never MTV vaults. Yeah. I mean, it was, and one of the, re- that was one of the reasons why we went out and did the Pledge of Allegiance tour with System because they were the same way, mm-hmm. you know, because they were so political that, and at the time nobody wanted to hear about it. So we literally all banded together. It was like, we're not going to let you stick a fork in us. We're going out and we're going to do this ourselves, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird time. And once again, it was a huge success because the people still wanted to, yeah, exactly. to rock. Yeah. We, were the, we were the music on the street at the time. Yeah. Talking about videos, the new video is, is the negative one. Very right. cool. Like, yeah. Kind of like a ring-type disturbing, weird thing. Yeah. But you're, you guys aren't even in it. Were yeah. you behind the whole concept of it, though? Clown was. Clown, Clown really – I can't say enough for how hard artistic that guy is. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really get enough credit as far as I'm concerned. Cuz so many people take us at face value. They don't understand the the creative merit that goes into this. You know, there's so many layers of of what we're trying to say that people just kind of they look at the imagery and they take it for what it is instead of really trying to cut through it and see what's going on and clown is a, amazing at that. So yeah, he really designed that and put it together specifically so we wouldn't be in it, you know, mm-hmm. and really kind of make this yin and yang kind of version of, of, of a lot of my lyrics deal with duality and uh, no, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that song, the negative one specifically is about the battle, uh, not for supremacy, but just for control sometimes of the darkness inside of all of us you know you know those who strive to be good constantly have to deal with the bad because you can't see it with you know Mm -hmm. without having both there and it's vice versa and for me it was it it was about the darkness that rose from the situation of of losing paul and being so upset and dealing with these very real feelings of you know blaming him blaming myself Mm. blaming everyone around me you know instead of just kind of taking that deep breath and and dealing with it you know and Mm. that's really where the song comes from is from that you know dealing with the guilt feeling terrible about feeling human Mm -hmm. you know and clown really did a great job of 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 making a the darkly beautiful video for that and i, yeah, I really dug it's it it's really well done you guys should check it out uh, on youtube uh, i remember i was on the side of the stage at sonosphere yeah and uh you know stephanie had your wife invited yeah. me up there and we were watching clown came over after one of the songs and he was super excited and he was pumping fists with everybody that was there who i'm assuming yeah. were all your friends yeah he pumps fists with this guy all right pumps fists with this guy all right pumps, and then comes to me and he's like who the hell is this guy? Yeah, I'll pump his fist anyways. <laughs> I know you. I know you. I know you. Yeah. Why is this guy on the side of the stage? All right. Give him his pump. <laughs> Thanks, clown. Thanks, man. Thank you. Now, um, I wanted to, to mention uh, you've written two books. Uh, the, yeah. The first one, Seven Deadly Sins, which was kind of an autobiography for you. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. The second one uh, was a funny thing happened on the way to heaven, and that really – I thought was cool because it's about ghost stories yeah, and spiritual yeah. and the afterlife and that sort of thing, um, which knowing you, I totally expected, but not knowing Corey Taylor probably took a lot of people kind of by surprise yeah. writing about this, yeah, yeah. you know, because uh, you obviously have had experiences with a ghosts. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the recording that you did in the mansion where you, it's a haunted place basically. Yeah. It's a very touched place. Let's put it that way. And that's um, where Rick Rubin kind of has his studio set up. Cause he the used Pepper, to, the yeah. Peppers yeah, talked yeah, about yeah, that. The peppers, being yeah. Too. Peppers, uh, worked there. Um, 
uh, we did we did volume three there. Uh, American Head Charge recorded there. Like a lot of bands who are in the the Ruben stable have worked there. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them have stayed there. Let's put it that way. Um, and there's a reason. Like Head Charge, they lived there because they had nowhere to go and they didn't want to. Like let's put it that way. We didn't know any better. We were just like, well, you know, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of rooms. It just makes sense. We'll come downstairs. We'll make the album. You know. And a lot of us at the time were very unavailable. I was, you know, I was dealing with my own drinking problems and, you know, really kind of trying to get my Are you my totally head sober together. now? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, coffee and cigarettes is about as hard as I go these days, <laughs> yeah. you know. Maybe every once in a while some carbs. Yeah. You know? Wow. Ooh, you <laughs> crazy Ooh, man. It's cream pretty- cheese frosting night, guys. <laughs> what do you think? You're Keith Moon or something? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, I mean it was that place. Very, very gnarly, man. Uh, we were, uh, me and Clown were actually up in uh, one of the wings of the mansion. And it's actually called The Mansion. Yeah, yeah. It's That's called The, the Mansion. Of- a lot of people think it's, the, it's where Houdini lived. And then a lot of people thought it's where Houdini's wife lived. And it's, it's for, it couldn't be further from the truth. And when I was researching it, and that's, I found that out uh, for the book. I was just like, I was like, well, that's weird, you know? It's actually around the corner from where Houdini stayed. He okay. never really owned a house in Los, uh, Los Angeles. He rented a place just behind uh, the mansion of this, uh, I want to say it was like this grocery store, mag- or department store magnate. I can't remember his name right away. Mm-hmm. But they only stayed there for about a year. And they were renting it, and that's when he was trying to get his his film career going. And I was like, well, why does everybody call it the Houdini Mansion, you know? And it's because so many people were referring to the one house that was in front of it, and then it it naturally kind of swung it around, you know? It was very, very weird. Um, but yeah, nothing I found in my research said had had anything to do with with twenty four fifty one and. Which I thought was cool. So I, in my book, I just started calling it the mansion. It's kind of started to catch on. Okay. Um, so what experiences did you have in there? Man, I tell you what, the 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 rooms that me and Clown had, man. He told me that that there would be nights where he'd be walking by my bed because I had the bathroom in in my room, mm-hmm. right? And he'd have to walk through my room to get to the bathroom, and he'd look over. And it would look like someone was, it looked like there was like four or five people in the bed just squirming, right? Whoa. And he would be like, what the hell? And he flipped the bathroom line and it would just be me. And, or, or sometimes it wouldn't be, I wouldn't even be there. Wow. And he was just like, dude, what is going on? I had the, uh, I had the blankets yanked off of me. Really? Um, yeah, for real. Like and around probably two or three in the morning. It was always around that time. I'd be sleeping. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, and I physically felt them yanked off of me. This is my favorite, though. I had two uh, digital clocks in my room because uh, Clown immediately took his out and put it in my. He's just like, I, he's got a thing for clocks. I don't know what it is. He hates clocks. <laughs> okay. Used to destroy them religiously on stage. Still does. Oh, wow. If he sees a stage clock, he will pull it down and destroy it. Really? With whatever he's got in his hands, whether it's his fists or the baseball bat. <laughs> hates them. So he immediately, yeah, right. he's, he's a he's a he's a, a he's a quirky dude, you know. <laughs> yeah. But he takes it, you know, he takes it, yanks it, he puts that. So I had two clocks in my room, both of which were set to different times, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't bother setting them because I had my. Nextel phone that just tells you where how long ago it was. I was like, I'll just use my phone for the you know for the time or whatever. 
So I didn't set them. I didn't, you know, not, the, the alarms weren't set at all, you know, because I'm not setting a goddamn alarm. <laughs> so one night, I'm laying in bed, and it had to have been around 3 in the morning or something. I wake up, and both the alarms are going off. Now, both clocks are not set to the same time. They're off of each other. Wow. Probably a couple of hours off of each other. I re- I'm like, what in the absolute hell? And I reach over and I, I turn one off and I'm still hearing it. I'm like, what the hell? The other one, and this is clear across the room, is going wow, on. Dude. So I get up, I turn that off, and I'm like, really? And I look, and they're both set, the, the alarms, which is the basically the fallback, mm-hmm. they're both at like 6 a.m. It wasn't 6 a.m. I'm like, well, why are these? It was crazy. Wow. So I shut the alarms. I go back to bed. All of a sudden, from inside the closet, because here's the, the bed is hard up against this wall. Behind it is a long closet, right? So to get, to the, to get into it, you go to the left of the bed, this door, and it's a long like walk-in closet. Mm-hmm. I lay down. I'm just falling asleep, and I hear ballroom music. I mean, clear as a bell. Wow. Like, and and I'm like, what in the hell? Like, some stuff you'd hear from like the twenty, like the like 20s. from The Shining, yeah, or something. Dude. Yeah, I'm like, what in the, what? And I mean, it's right behind me, you know. The, the so I get up, and I open the door to the closet, and it stops like that, just as clear as like, boom, gone. I'm like, what the? And, and there's no outlets in the closet, so there's no way for anything to be plugged in playing music. Yeah. I figured maybe because uh, there was a like a kind of an open room downstairs. You know, mm-hmm. We were on the second floor. I'm thinking maybe Sid was playing it, right? Sid comes up to me the next day and goes, were you blasting some wow. weird like jazz, like ragtime music? I'm like, no. I thought it was you. And he's like, dude. Wow. Yeah. It was crazy, man. Any explanation as to... You know, I did some, I did some research... I mean, for the most part, the the house was, you know, uh, people lived in it pretty much in like the, the 20s to the 40s. Um, and it, it changed hands a couple of different times. Um, but nothing that would suggest anything gnarly like that. There was a dude when it was after it was uh, abandoned or, or vacant. They uh, they found a guy uh, hanging. In one of the back mm-hmm. bedrooms, in a tuxedo, which is another thing that I saw, uh, which I, I referred to him as the tuxedo man. And they found him hanging because his uh, his fiance had uh, basically broken off the engagement, mm-hmm. so he went to this abandoned house at the time and just hung him. Like they didn't find him for a couple weeks. Wow! So one night, I'm in my uh, I'm in the room by myself. Clown had gone back to Iowa, so I've got the two rooms to myself. Now, the way the rooms are set up is if you're going, if you come up the stairs from the, from the, the first floor and you go down this hallway, our rooms were the last rooms on the right or on the left, mm-hmm. excuse me. So you go through that door, you go through that door to our rooms. You got my room, his room is right there, and then the bathroom is right to your left, right? So I've got the door to the hallway closed and yeah. locked. The door to the bathroom is wide open because I, you know, nobody's there. I'm like, screw this. So I'm taking a shower. You know, I was getting ready to go out, and uh, it's one of those old timey, like uh, you know, like sturdy iron uh, 
bathtubs. Right? Yeah, right, right. With, with the, with the, with the claw oh yeah, legs, the claw. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm in there, you know, the you know shower curtains just kind of doing whatever, and I'm you know, singing Bee Gees or something. <laughs> and uh, I, it's the the curtain is just open enough that I can see through the door to part of my room. I can see the head of my bed, you know. So I'm standing there, you know, it's, I had long hair at the time, so I've got my conditioner in. <laughs> yeah. I'm letting it, you know, I've got to make sure that I can control it. Your carotene treatments. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. My, uh, my horse and mane shampoo, yeah, so it grows right. twice so it grows as longer. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's such ass. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing, man. So, I'm, you know, so I'm standing there, you know, and whatever, and I look over, and a man in a tuxedo walks through the door. Dude, come on. Like man. that. Like that. I'm and like, you're vulnerable in the shower. That's I'm the worst new, place. You know, yeah. I got conditioner in. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? I jump out, run into my room, and it was literally within seconds, gone. Nothing. Wow. And I just Dude. freaked out, man. Yeah. I didn't know what to do, you know? It wasn't until – and I didn't even know the story about the dude who hung himself until I was doing an interview with uh, Kerrang! Magazine. And they were like, oh, well, we did this re- research, and this is what we found. And I just went, wow. And oh. you're like – that's exactly what you saw. I could go on for hours. Is about that what that prompted stuff. you to write the book about about spirits? It was a, and well, ghosts. a little bit, you yeah. know. I mean, I and like I said, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of paranormal, whatever you want to call sure. it. Sure, um, I've dealt with this since I was a very like a young kid, and uh, like all the way up until you know this moment. And I and I've never been satisfied with a lot of the reasons mm-hmm. for whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know, it, and it always comes down to those who believe. And then just a bunch of factions of people who well, have yeah, a bunch of, of assumptions, sure. you know? Um, and the parallel between that and religion is very, very, it's very funny. I agree. You know? So, you know, not being a religious guy, I was like, you know, well, this is what I think, you know, and it was coming at it from a, a fairly scientific point of view. And, making some assumptions as far as like how energy and the will can maybe emboss that personality onto the energy, you know? And so, so I just had these crazy ideas that I wanted to flesh out and I wanted to do some research and see if it was plausible. And at the same time, I just wanted to just kind of see if I wasn't, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy, Mm -hmm. you know? Because the the first thing, you know, there's a handful of questions that people who don't believe in this stuff ask. It's like, well, why are they wearing clothes? Why is this? Why is that? Why don't you see any ghost cows, you know, and mm. stuff like that? And I'm like, how do you know you don't? You know, mm. how do you know you're not driving by a field and you're <laughs> seeing something? You know, how do you know you don't, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, the thing that, the, you know, the thing with the clothes thing, I I kind of took a page from The Matrix and explaining is, you know, everybody has that vision of yourself like when you dream and you do ever you you have that that uh self point of view that comes to mind anytime you visualize yourself and not not all the time are you going to look like you do in the present mm-hmm. you look like maybe like you did 20 years ago mm-hmm. or how you would like to look you know so if you have a strong enough personality my theory was that that personality could write itself onto the energy that we call a soul. Hmm. And that when you, you know, when the body dies, that recording basically can almost have not sentient thought, but some sort of reaction, reactionary purpose, you know? And that's why sometimes you'll see people in clothes is because 
the mind has seen themselves that way and has written that image mm, onto yeah. the energy. You know, so so I mean, that's just one of the things that I was you know, kind of trying to figure out because it was driving me nuts. Well, I think you know, I'm not going to say it's a sixth sense, but some people are more attuned yeah, to that. No, absolutely. Now, let me ask you this: being that you are obviously attuned, did you have any uh, any experiences or encounters with with Paul after he passed away? You know, some of the people around me have. Mm-hmm. Um, they've seen him. Really? Yeah, yeah. They've seen it. Um, it was only for a, a short time, though, mm-hmm. because, um, and I think it was because after his his uh, daughter was born, his daughter he, was born after he passed away, yes, right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think after that happened, he, you know, he's staying close to her, mm-hmm. and that's just an assumption on my account. Mm-hmm. But I could hear him playing music, like I could hear, like I could just, I could hear stuff like that. I'd get glimpses every once in a while, you know, but it's always the side of the eye, you know, and um, I could walk into a room and, and smell him because hmm. he always smelled like smoke and the, uh, <laughs> the, like the cologne that he would wear, the deodorant, whatever. And he just had a very distinctive smell and the coffee drinks that he would pound mm-hmm. by the, by the block, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that he was around for a while. I could feel him, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was cool. You know, mm-hmm. it, it helped a little bit, you know, because I just knew I was like, he was such a huge spirit. There was no way he was going to be just completely gone. gone yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, I knew that he would want to stick around, especially for his daughter. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So that, that helps me a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that I can't talk to a lot of people about. But it helps me, and that and that's what matters. I had a, a probably three or four different times when I've had various really close friends pass away. I had really vivid dreams where oh, it was a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was yeah. more. It was more than a dream. It was a message. Yeah. And there were specific messages. One I got from 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 Benoit. Oh, another wow. one I got from Eddie, and one that I got from my friend Art Barr, who passed away back in '93. A guy I used to wrestle with in Mexico. Oh, wow. And all three of those gave me messages like life messages wow and it was i still like like i get it man you know what i mean it wasn't a ghost it was a dream but the same thing yeah they were coming back to say hey and that's you know yeah yeah and it doesn't matter after that it doesn't matter what anybody else says that's right you know it's like this is i'm not going to tell you how to live your life as far as like that goes don't try to take away from what i feel that's right and i know you know you know it was real exactly exactly Uh, a couple more questions. Something we never talked about. There was two rumors, um, and maybe there were more than rumors. One uh, about, about you singing for a couple different bands. Oh, yeah, yeah. One was Anthrax, mm-hmm. and one was Velvet Revolver. Yeah. How yeah. far were those rumors? Uh, they were very, very real. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, with, with Anthrax, it's actually quite depressing because we were literal. I was literally getting ready to fly to Chicago to start writing with them. Really? They had, yeah, because Charlie and Scott had sent me a bunch of music, and I was you know writing lyrics to it. A lot of stuff actually ended up on Worship Music. Not my lyrics, yeah. but musically. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, I recognize that. I recognize that. Or like a you riff know? or a melody Very or something. Cool. Gotcha. Um, so this was after John Bush left? This was, yeah. This was after, after, they, were trying to, they were trying to figure out what was going on. This is after Dan had left. Gotcha. After the, yeah. And uh, they were just like, we... 
we don't know what to do. Yeah, the short-lived singer yeah, Dan I mean, Nelson was, was in the band for like two months. Yeah, or whatever. he was like, yeah, yeah just, you in know, and out very quickly. Which, you know, I I I hope he gets kneecapped or something. <laughs> the, the way he treated that, band. yeah, yeah, we'll do that. But I won't even go. Yeah, there. yes. So they um, call you up and they say, "Listen, well, man, we want you this to do came this, out or? of a conversation because Scott was doing something in uh, New York with a with a club that he was kind of working with somebody there." And he asked, he called me, he's like, you want to do like an acoustic thing? Like get up and do like an acoustic jam at this thing opening night. And I was like, duh, you know? So <laughs> it was me, him, and Frankie, Frank mm-hmm. Bello, who's a character in his own. Oh, isn't he? <laughs> oh, that dude. I can hang with him all day. Yeah. His Paul Stanley is ridiculous. Oh, dude, we seen each other Paul Stanley. Right? I time. did too. Yeah. You know, it was he's so good. He's got lisp and everything. Listen, yeah. listen. <laughs> you guys have been a dynamite audience. You give yourself a round of applause. I know. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, we started jamming and, you know, had a blast, man. You actually, I think there's a video of it somewhere. And then we went out to dinner after that. <laughs> And someone, and I can't remember who it was, jokingly said, why don't you sing for us? And we all laughed. And then we got real quiet. Mm. And we were like, well, why don't I? You know? Because we had been threatening to, to write together for years. You know, I mean, I've known those guys since my birthday, 1999. We did a show with Anthrax. <laughs> and uh, it was in Boston at the old Avalon which is now, I think, a house of blues. It doesn't have the same... Same vibe, Mucky yeah. awesomeness. Like yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, it's a... I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a good room, sure, but yeah. when it was the Avalon, it was so sketchy that it's just <laughs> you just missed that, you know? And we just started talking, you know? And, you know, I've just been friends with them ever since. And then, you know, we just started talking about it a lot, you know? And then, you know, Charlie found out. He was just like, Dude, I've got all this stuff. I'm gonna send it to you because he's you know great writer. Yeah, and he's Charlie you know, writes a lot. Writes man, a lot yeah. of that stuff. So I'm getting stoked. I'm like, yes. And did you have time in your schedule? Yeah, yeah, to man. I mean, they were sending me a bunch of stuff, and it was literally between um, uh, Stone Sour Come Whatever May, and right before I was getting ready to do. Um, <laughs> Uh, All Hope is Gone. I love you. I'll just do three bands. Yeah, now. yeah. I was yeah. like, why not? Might as well. You know? I got three, yeah. And the label put the kibosh on it. Really? Because they wanted they wanted me to go and work on All Hope is Gone. They wanted, oh, they wanted the Slipknot album. Yeah, mm-hmm. they wanted the Slipknot album. Because I was trying, because at the time, Anthrax didn't really have anything going on. Yeah. And they were shopping a lot of this music. And I was like, well, if I get involved, we could totally could go sell that music, with the Roadrunner, yeah. you know? Right. And... Like I was, it was literally the day. Oh Christ, that was nice. Was literally the day. Right. Yeah, <laughs> literally the day I was, I was getting on the plane because uh, Scott was coming back from seeing uh, uh, Metallica play, mm-hmm. and, and uh, they called me. They're like, "You can't do it. We, we will not allow you to do it." Oh. It's like you can, you know. And I'm trying to think of ways to get around it because <laughs> yeah. I'm that guy. Yeah, and my manager. Uh, you know, and in retrospect, I'm glad it, it happened the way it did, but it still sucked because I wanted it so, Dude, so bad, bad. You know, yeah. because I love those dudes. Sure. They ended up getting Joey they ended back getting in the Joey band back, and... and that album is amazing. Yeah. You know, Worship Music is one of the reasons why we went with Jay Rustin to mix the, the House of Golden Bones album. That's albums, right. Yeah, yeah. Because he's killer, you know? It's funny. Uh, we had a, a gig at BB King's uh, with, with Fozzie back in, I think it was 11 around that time. Yeah. And Charlie brought Joey to the gig. Oh, yeah, yeah. To hang. They were just to see, like, can we get along? Can yeah, we hang yeah, out? Yeah. 
So I always say that we're Fozzie is the Cupid of metal because we brought Anthrax back together. Because <laughs> nice. Frankie showed up and they nice. hung out. So there you go. I yeah. love it. So what was the Velvet Revolver story with that? Now the Velvet Revolver thing was was a lot because I've been I've been friends with Duff for a long time. Mm, you know? Great guy too. Great. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. people on the planet. I agree. Full stop. Um, and I you know I'd met Matt through uh, you know doing stuff with Camp Freddy and everything mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you know they started hitting me up. They were like, you know, hey, we're trying these people out. You want to come out and and they were you know, we send you singer. some tunes. Yeah. You know, write to it and do whatever. And I, you know, I kind of didn't. I didn't have a lot of time. I was, I was. It was between tours on All Hope Is Gone. So I kind of you know recorded some stuff just in my house. You know, on GarageBand. It wasn't the greatest quality, but it was just get the idea out. And I sent it to them. They were like, eh, it's, it's not quite what we're looking for. And then. Because they would just write the music and send it to you, and yeah. you write the melody. Yeah, and the lyrics, yeah, right? I wrote, write the lyrics. And, and just the to say this too, Slipknot obviously you have such a powerful, thrashy voice, but you can also really sing clean. I do too. okay. Yeah, you do good with some yeah, sour. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, so I was, you know, so I, I really didn't put my full attention onto it. Mm-hmm. But then about I want to say about eight months later, and this is after uh, Paul had passed, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and they were like, were like, hey, we don't want to bother you, and we know you're kind of doing your thing right now. You got this, you know, and it's actually, I was right in the middle of the auto secrecy tour cycle with stone sour. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they hit me up and they were like, look, um, how would you feel about taking another crack at this and then coming to LA to jam with us? And I was like, I would love to do that, you know? <laughs> so, you know, so I, I rewrote, um, the stuff that I had written for the same four tunes. And then they sent me some other stuff that I had then completely, I, I was like, let's, you know, do this for mm-hmm. real. And I sent it to them, and they were really digging it. And they were like, cool. Were the right. tunes cool? Yeah, they were yeah. really cool. And uh, so then I flew out to L.A., and we jammed uh, We jammed on a bunch of uh, Slash VR too? stuff. Yeah, yeah, like everybody was there. Like That's It was cool. very, very cool. And, you know, me and Kushner just, you know, because we'd known each other. And Kushner's originally from Des Moines. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, his whole okay. family lives here. So uh, okay. he's, you know, so we're, you know, trading Iowa jokes, and everybody's staring at us, <laughs> and we're like, whatever. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, we had a really good time. And then... I flew back and then flew back out and we went to the studio that Matt uses for demos Mm -hmm. and we started kind of working on newer stuff, you know, writing stuff. And me and Duff had been writing songs together, like, like sending stuff back and forth, go check this out, you know? (laughs) And it was really, really cool. And, uh, it was cool, you know? And it, it, I, I think at the time, you know, a handful of guys were kind of like they were into it, but they weren't, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. and uh, and Slash hit me up and he was like, look, man, it's nothing against you. It's just, I'm not I'm kind of doing my own thing right now. Right. And when you're Slash, you get to, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah. You know, he's to me. He's my Hendrix. He's I my, agree. you know, it, his playing is amazing. And, and that's not just a cliche. He is one of the best guitar players really on is. the planet and, and ever. His, his style is ridiculous. His feel. He can almost play anything. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So for me, it was like, you know, don't ever apologize for that, <laughs> man. But it was, you know, it's it was close. Cool, yeah, yeah, it was very it's cool. cool you know? but I For 10 seconds, I felt <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, like you're a huge rock star, but for ten seconds you were in a band with freaking Slash. I know, yeah. dude. Like, because because the funny thing is, and I tell this story all the time. Like, I'm standing and I feel like such a jackass. I'm standing <laughs> in the rehearsal space, and uh, you know we're you know we're going for it, and we're singing a bunch of stuff off the first uh, VR album, mm-hmm. which is a great album. Yeah. 
So I'm, you know, I'm singing that, I'm doing Slither, you know, I'm doing all this crazy stuff. And I look over and I'm like, that's Slash. <laughs> and I'm saying it to Duff McKagan. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. you're Duff McKagan. <laughs> Such a fanboy, you know. It was just, it was awesome. Uh, that's you know? so cool, man. Well, you're doing pretty good with the bands that you have. Yeah. Slipknot 5, the gray chapter is out. Uh, then going on tour, prepare for hell tour with Corn and King 180. Couple last questions. First of all, what songs are you looking forward to playing live on this tour? Oh man, um, will you do a lot of them? We're gonna, well, you know, we're gonna do a handful of new ones, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's there's some that as soon as I heard the the, the music, I was like, I'm writing specifically for this to be a live yes. song. You know, because you you get that vibe. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, this will be awesome. Yeah. Um, we put to I you know I I put together two different sets for both nights. So we're for we're, gonna do, we're gonna do a different show each night because you guys will play both nights. Yeah, exactly. Right. We're headlining both. So you know we kind of spread it out a little bit to to make it really interesting. And then you know people are like, are they gonna play that? Are they gonna play? So, um, yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a handful I'm really looking forward to on the new album. And then I'm dusting off some, uh, some stuff that we haven't played since God, the Iowa tour, um, real die which is really, yeah. really cool. Yeah, we got a lot of cool stuff. What songs out. do you play that still go, go over huge? Um, I, I mean, dude, we're so lucky, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like pretty much every song that we, that, that we play, for the most part, gets a pop from at least a part of the audience, mm-hmm. you know? So the the one that I love is when Sid starts Heretic Anthem, and I don't announce it, which half the time I'm so stoked to be getting to that song <laughs> that I announce it anyway. But I love it when he just starts it and the audience realizes what it is, and it's just this... <laughs> and it's like, it is so on, dude. Um but then duality, I get chills every time That's thinking a about because yeah. I start them and then they take it, mm-hmm. and you know I, I get to I push my fingers into my and by that time the audience is screaming it, and there's nothing like hearing you know how it is yeah you man know, you're hearing your words coming That's from that many people yeah. people singing your words to you drugs yeah. can suck it <laughs> that's what it's all about well like we said man not fest come up you got an invitation to play knit fest next year i'm doing oh uh, yes yes uh, we do yes big, of course uh, people be crocheting you know afghans i've been working blankets. on my uh my uh my my butcher hook which <laughs> is uh it's uh, very technical these are technical you're you guys are renowned for your doily <laughs> i am <laughs> i am a uh, you know i hold a, a blue ribbon in iowa for a uh, uh, most uh, intricate doily, and uh, you know, I don't want to brag. I know fest. my way around like some said, some lace, some I white need a lace. Headliner, you're there for knit fest. I am man. in, dude. Thank you so much. <laughs> no worries, brother. <laughs> Thanks to Corey Taylor, such a great guy. The new Slipknot is out. It's called Five. The great chapter. Check him out at Knot Fest this weekend, October 25th and 26th in San Bernardino, just outside of Los Angeles. It's their first ever festival. Lots of great bands playing. Then after Knot Fest, they're headed out on the Prepare for Hell tour with Corn and King 810. Those dates start October 29th in El Paso, Texas. Go check out Slipknot. Go pick up their new record. Uh, go check out my new book, The Best in the World at What? I have no idea. Come see me and get a signed copy. And also check out, if you're into uh, heavy metal, 
uh, and rock and roll, check out Scott Ian's book. It's called I'm the Man, the story of that guy from Anthrax. Great, great book about the early days of thrash metal and about all the trials and tribulations of being an Anthrax. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I know you've got hundreds, thousands of podcasts to schwaz from, and I thank you so much for schwazing mine. And you know I wouldn't be doing this at all if not for you guys downloading two shows every week, and also if not for my Sexy Beast sponsors who help us pay for the production costs of doing this show for you for free for twice a week. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way to do that is do your online shopping through my Amazon links. They're easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the page, then click on Talk is Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links in the UK, the USA, and the Canada A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show, so we keep doing this for you for free for twice a week. No extra fees, hidden charges, nada. You're just getting your shopping done and helping me out in the process. All right, that's it. Another fine, fun-filled edition of Talk is Jericho. We'll see you next week, but in the meantime, time and in between time stay hard stay hungry peace love and hugs we'll see you on friday for the first ever podcast interview and maybe even the first interview period for the suicidal homicidal genocidal sabu that's right i tracked sabu down in the wilds of bombay or uh michigan whichever one you choose to believe and we spoke for about 45 minutes sabu not known for his interviews but he comes clean with us you're not going to want to miss this if you love ecw if you love sabu the pioneer we'll see you then and a big give boy you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast one.com that's podcast one.com <laughs>